0: Welcome to the panel, RNZ National, Anna Dean and Sam Johnson today. Now, the New Zealand dollar has dropped to its lowest level compared to the US dollar since 2009. The New Zealand dollar was trading at just over 56 US cents and 87 Australian cents uh, this morning, having fallen in value by 19% against both currencies over the past year, now the decline of the New Zealand dollar was due to the increase in the US dollar as people moved their capital back to the US as it was perceived to be safe. Now, Governor of the Reserve Bank, Adrian Orr, said inflation uh, at 7.3% was too high, but was coming down. So to explain that all, we thought we'd get Cameron Bagri on, economist from Bagri Economics. Kia ora, Cameron. Oh, good afternoon. Would it be just the New Zealand dollar declining against the US dollar? Am I right?
1: Well, we're down against the Australian dollar a little bit. So if you go back you know, 12 to 18 months ago, we were up pretty comfortably in the 90s against the Australian dollar. And now we're back down around 88 cents. So we're down against that too as well. But I guess the, the big story here in regard to currencies is the currencies are 2 sided coins, and the US dollar has gone up just about across everybody across the board. The US dollar goes up, the New Zealand dollar, the Australian dollar, the British pound, the euro, everybody else is headed south.
0: And this is down to the United States trying to tame their inflation?
1: They've got the same inflation problem that other countries have got around the globe, and the US Federal Reserve has been pretty front-footed in regard to what they're going to be doing. They're going to be lifting interest rates. They're reasonably aggressive. So we're seeing both what's called short-term interest rates you know, the the lever that the US Federal Reserve pulls, but also long-term interest So If you look at a, a US ten-year bond, yeah, you know, twelve months ago, a US ten-year bond was around one point six percent. Well, last night, US ten-year bond was trading up around three point eight percent. So, there's a lot of money that's sort of flocking into that United States. economy. they've got a big, liquid, uh, deep bond market. You know, we're seeing risk appetites are waning around the globe. When risk appetite's wane and risk aversion is up, then you tend to see a bit of a flight for quality, and that flight for top quality tends to support the US dollar.
0: A flight for quality supports the US dollar. Yeah. Uh, so, who's going to hurt here? Importers and those who buy imported goods, Cameron. Um, are they really going to be feeling it?
1: Yeah, importers. will uh, also that overseas holiday is just getting progressively more experienced. If you go into a destination that's US dollar denominator currencies are just relative price variables so they, they effectively that they, screws the scrum and what we're seeing at the moment is that of course that, that scrum is being screwed in the favour of the export sector so that supports the dairying yeah, red meat forestry okay. manufacturing exports it supports yeah, foreign tourists coming into New Zealand and spending a bit of money, but of course, the, the side that loses is on the other side is the poor old domestic consumer here in New Zealand because of the price of those imported products is moving up as the New Zealand dollar moves south.
0: And, Anna Dean, that would include you, the price of uh, imported products, you know, uh, be it um, uh, your local goods, your produce, those pair of shoes that come from out, out of the country? Yeah, exactly. What about you, Anna? Anna, uh, can you hear me?
2: Uh, yes, I can hear you. Yeah. Um, my uh, my first thought in relation to that was really around, you know, okay, don't buy any sneakers online and things yeah. like that. But maybe that's not a bad thing, and actually, it just reminds everybody again to stay local, shop local, particularly coming into this Christmas season. If we're going to get a lot of tourists coming oh, yeah. through, um, yeah, it feels like everybody kind of. We go into these doom and gloom cycles, but um, given inflation is so high around the rest of the world, um, I'm interested to know, Cameron, if you if you feel like you know we're we're doing okay, or should we be alarmed?
1: Well, we are doing okay, but doing okay is the understatement over the year. Yeah, <laughs> we're Zealand doing well. The ball, New Zealand has knocked the ball out of the park.
2: Awesome. Over the past
1: two, two, two years, yeah, we've benefited strongly from what's called sugar candy economics. That's printing a lot of money borrowing a lot of money House prices moving up The government borrowing a lot of money And unfortunately The by-product of that Is what's called an inflationary bonfire Mm At the moment to get That that inflationary bonfire under control Or that inflationary thief Back in jail there's, There's a price to pay on the other side And the price to pay on the other side Is that in order to pay inflation Interest rates move up Interest rates move down It's not good for asset prices The house prices equities are falling. It's not good for economic growth and of course, we're going to face an awkward trade-off over the next sort of 12 months to get inflation under control. The sacrificial pawn, or one of them, is going to be higher unemployment. Yeah, so we've got one evil out there that we want to control, or well, it's another evil that we're going to unlock on the other side, which is going to be people out of jobs. So it's a bit of a cruelest choice in regard to what we've uh-huh. done. So you look at households; yeah, g- their biggest concern out there is the cost of living and inflation. So we've got to sort it out.
3: Yep, C- Cameron. I'm interested in um, your advice. Why, why have we um, gone and out of parity with Australia so much? I sort of understand the US situation, but w- wouldn't w- wouldn't we stay in more in step with Australia? And how how could we get back to be more in step with Australia? Well, you
1: talking
3: about the currency, there? Yes.
1: Well, I guess if you look, because yeah. there was at the a time
3: six months ago, a year ago, wasn't it, that we were more or less the dollars were more or less equal.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's rather unusual to see the New Zealand dollar, Aussie dollar trading up around 95 cents. Right. Up around that sort of level. We're on the expensive part of the ledger. So so if you step back and you think about little old New Zealand at the moment, we've got some common denominators with a lot of other countries in regard to things like high inflation. So everybody's seeing high interest rates. But, of course, currencies also reflect what's called domestic fundamentals. So if you ever look at yeah, New Zealand's domestic fundamentals, we saw a current account position, which is our national checkbook with the rest of the globe. Now, that was $28 billion in the red, you know, 7.7% of GDP. If you look at what we're starting to see in New Zealand in regard to crime, you, know, you start to see it looks like New Zealand is overbuilding on the housing front. What we're also starting to see at the moment is investors are starting to look at domestic economic fundamentals in combination with the broader global picture. And if you look at that story... some of the shine's starting to come off using our economic stories. So yes, we're well down against the greenback, but we're also starting to come down against other countries such as the Australian dollar. But 88 cents against the Australian dollar is still, I'd say, on the high side of where we we typically expect to trade over a 10-year period.
0: Right. Now, um, interesting, uh, Cameron, uh, I mean, if we think inflation's high here, do spare a thought For many countries in Europe, and gosh, inflation running around 15 to 20 percent, and Cameron still rising.
1: Yeah, well, what you're seeing across Europe, the United Kingdom, is that you've got all the usual inflationary suspects that have turned up at at the UK, Europe's doorstep, tight labour market, rising wages, COVID related challenges, too much money. Yeah, chasing too few goods, but of course, what they're being absolutely harpooned at is what's a, a good old-fashioned energy shock. It's not just about oil prices; it's energy prices, gas. Yeah, you know, the situation going on in Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, you know, so you, yeah, you know, unfortunately, yeah, that that is going to result in what looks like so the UK inflation rate that looks like it could hit the fifteen to eighteen percent. Mm. So and that's an unfortunate byproduct of they are steering down a barrel of a massive energy shock where New Zealand's seen a bitter one, but nothing like what they're experiencing in Europe and the United Kingdom at present.
0: Yeah, quite extraordinary. Now, just in terms of the, uh, the news back here, the New Zealand dollar dropping to its lo- lowest level, uh, and you know, it will have ramifications on uh, importing imported goods. Will it have any bearing on oil being imported in, into New Zealand?
1: Well, oil tends to be priced in US dollars. And what we're seeing right. at the moment is, that of course, yeah, oil prices internationally, as of last night, were actually trading below the levels they were before the Ukrainian-Russian situation sort of teed off. Yeah, so what does that tell you is that the market sort of moved on from that supply side situation and starting to think a lot more about demand destruction. And, yeah, commodity prices more broadly, including oil, have come under a fair bit of pressure over the last two to three months. As interest rates have moved up and interest rates move up, we're going to break a few economic bones in regard to slowing growth. And One of those economic bones that we are starting to see break progressively is commodities. They're starting to come off. And they're just a bit of a signal that the heat's coming out of the global economy, which is actually what central banks need to see to be satisfied that they're going to get that inflationary fee back in general.
0: OK. Hey, nice to have you on the programme, Cameron. Kiara. This There's Cameron Bagri from uh, Bagri Economics there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, quite a bit of response regarding anxiety. I want to sort of focus particularly on anxiety uh, today. It's Mental Health Awareness Week. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about that just after 4.30. Uh, Emma in Hastings says, on anxiety, sometimes I'll be in a foul mood. Everyone around me seems like an idiot and I want to lash out, break things and hurt people. Underneath it all, I'm anxious about something, a trip to the dentist, finances, or something silly i said at work. But it's really hard to recognize that in the moment. So thank you for being honest. Thank you for your thoughts. And thanks for sharing uh, your stories about anxiety. Keep those coming. You can email me, thepanel at rnz. .co.nz. Sam Johnson and Anna Dean uh, with me this afternoon. 17 past four. Uh, a very different topic here. Quite interesting, though. Giorgio Malone, leader of the Brothers of Italy Party, is poised to lead Italy's first far-right-led government since World War II and Italy's first woman premier, 100 years after Benita Mussolini's 1922 march in Rome which brought the fascist dictator to power. The Brothers of Italy won the most votes in Italy's national election. They are described as a neo-fascist group. They have their roots in the post-World War II fascist Italian social movement. Matteo Salvini, the leader of Italy's far-right league, has promised that his alliance with Giorgia Meloni's Brothers of Italy will deliver a long-lasting government. So, with us is Giacomo Lichner, a Associate Professor of History and Film, also teaches Italian history at Victoria University. He's an Associate Editor of the journal Modern Italy. Dr Lichner, welcome to the programme.
4: Oh, kia ora, Wallace. Thanks for having me.
0: Kia ora. Did you see this coming? Did Italy see this coming?
4: Um, yes, uh, is the short answer. The, <laughs> the results of this election were pretty much sealed the moment immediately after the Draghi government's collapse, uh, when the, the parties kind of cast around for coalition partners and um, the centre-left was unable to put together a coalition while, while the, 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 the centre-right and far-right um, um, did manage to, to strike a coalition uh, deal. And at that point there was really no competition, uh, which is borne by the numbers. Uh, the the, the right-wing bloc has won in 98 provinces out of 105, so right across the country.
0: What does their win mean, do you think, if anything?
4: Uh, it means um, probably a reasonable amount domestically. I think my first thoughts go to a whole range of groups of people in Italy who will probably feel um, a shutdown in uh, hostility towards them. And I'm thinking about immigrants in particular, but also the LGBTQ plus communities, uh, and Sinti minorities. Um, You know, there's a a long list of people who who will um, probably find their day-to-day life change for the worse, both because of uh, legislation the new government might bring in, but also more generally because um, of uh, intolerant uh, fascist um, groups or individuals within society feeling legitimised by what happened.
3: Giacomo, how much um, of it is a vote-out of the old government, rather than just a, a vote in, um, which is sort of the interesting point here, in and because it, I mean it's it's as a, um, it's, a, it's horrifically worrying for um, any minority group in Italy right now. But um, should we read it as that actually Italy is is swinging to the far right as a population, or is it actually they're just swinging away from their old government, saying like, I don't want this, and this is the only alternative?
4: Yeah, good good question, Sam. Thanks for that. Um, there is, I mean, undoubtedly. What's happening in Italy is part of a much bigger um, development and a much bigger evolution of international politics. We've seen it in the U.S., we've seen it in the U.K. to some extent, uh, we've seen it in France, uh, and then in, in each country, because of the different electoral law, uh, kind of takes different shapes and evolves in different ways. So in, in some in some respects, there is uh, we know that it is the result of uh, disaffection, of um, fear of change... Uh, of all sorts of all sorts of kind of long term things, uh, mm-hmm. but in some respects uh, there, it's, there's more continuity than we might think. Uh, right. I think it's worth it's worth pointing out that this is the same coalition that's been running together since 1994, and they often ah. split during the legislature, like during the time in parliament. They often split and support different prime ministers, but then always reconvene at election time. Um, Silvio Berlusconi put them together in 1994. He was in that respect the real kind of um, circuit breaker, Hmm. because until then nobody had struck an alliance with the post-fascist party. They were like pariah in Italian politics. Ah. Berlusconi brought them in from the cold, and they got 42.6% back then as a coalition. I think this time around they got 43.2%, so the kind of block hasn't changed that much. But there are shifting internal support dynamics between the three parties.
0: Okay, Anna, what's your takes on this? Do you have a question uh, for Giacomo or a comment?
2: I'm always wondering, watching this footage, how much um, how much Botox Berlusconi is actually using? Because that huh. man's face—he does not seem to age. He, you know, he's grinning from ear to ear about this, of course, because it's a huge um, triumph for for that block. But also, I wonder um, how much of it is really playing on the fear um, roused up around the pandemic and kind of distrust of democracy. And I mean, that's, mm. that's the real worrying thing for me. And Dr. Littner, I guess I was wondering, does this feel like um, history repeating itself from the 1920s and what we might be heading into mm. in the 2030s or, or, or beyond?
4: Mm. It's again. It's uh, that's all you know, thoughtful points, uh, Anna. Thank you. The, the, I, I don't. I don't think it feels like history repeating itself. Although mm-hmm. I have to say that the echo of it being the centenary of the March of Rome is really is really unsettling. Um, uh, but I, you know, I don't think so. The conditions are, are, are different, uh, as they always are in history. Um, I, I think. Um, I mean, I think Berlusconi, your, your point on Berlusconi, although in jest, is a good is a good point. When the man is eighty five, mm. and I think <laughs> this time round it felt wow. like his, his mummified remains we're, <laughs> we're, best, were still good enough to uh, to uh, be more effective uh, propaganda wise than than the left, and yes. that's that's a significant worry for. For it, the anti fascist group. In Italy. It is
0: interesting across borders, is it? Because you are seeing these far right swings in Sweden, France, other European countries. I mean, the Sweden Democrats, uh, they have roots in the neo Nazi movement. They won 20.5% of the vote in last Sunday's election, giving it the second highest number of seats in Parliament. Some might say that this represents a challenge, uh, perhaps even a threat to democracy and democratic values. What's your thoughts? What of that?
4: I, I think in Italy's case, um, although I am worried, uh, I think the country has some antibodies that have been hard won and nurtured over decades. Uh, I don't think we are heading towards uh, a threat to democracy. Although democracy is fragile, and we have to protect it, and we protect it with, with, with even you know with small actions, uh, and we should continue to do that. The um, uh, so yeah, I don't. I don't think that's where we're heading.
0: Very nice to be on the program. That's uh, Dr. Giacomo Lichner, uh associate professor at uh, Victoria University and associate editor of the journal Modern Italy. Lovely to have you company today, uh, Tuesday, 24, 25 past four. Sam Johnson and Anna Dean with me today. Thank you very much, by the way, of your feedback uh, around the issues of anxiety. We talk about that just after four thirty. I have had a lifetime of anxiety, starting as a young child, but I have also gathered a lifetime of tools and helpful techniques. I've learned to manage my anxiety. Attending a weekly support group where others share the journey and we are learning coping strategies, it's been the most useful thing that I've done for uh, my anxiety. So thank you very much for that. And we uh, hear about that, uh, well, actually very soon on the program. But I wanted to uh, come to this. I came across this really interesting item in The Guardian about one Jill Craven, who, as a child, would do anything to avoid swimming lessons. But many decades later, she was advised to swim as part of her recovery after a surgery. And so, at the age of 69, she learnt, at last, to swim. And this got me thinking, what skill came to you a little later in life? So I'm going to start here, a bit embarrassing
2: to, uh, let's
0: do two. Let's do two. So, at the age of thirteen, I learned to ride a bike. Wow, thirteen! It was thirteen. That Everybody around me six years old. Oh. Late developer. <clears throat> now I've realised, talking to producer, there's one thing I haven't done in life. Do you want that? to have a guess? What's that?
3: Have you still got the trainer wheels on?
0: I'm past 50. <laughs>
3: <laughs> sorry, Wallace, sorry, that's a bit cruel. Oh, this is a, you know, just a bit hyper vulnerable. Oh, oh, oh. Here I am,
0: here I am, past 50. Do you know what I've never done in life? No. Caught a fish. Whoa! Well, no. oh, there's a bucket list item. I've never caught a fish. What's it like, Anna? What's it
2: like catching a fish? Oh, it's great. I actually just got uh, taken recently out on early morning Couple of gentlemen who live in Golden Bay, and we mm. caught probably about eight snapper, and wow, it was fantastic. Greedy. Yes, um, they were all distributed around uh, the neighbourhood. Oversi- oversized, good size, Uh Yeah, huge, huge. I could barely lift them, and they were fantastic. Oh, you it see, put on my bumble cool. profile. I want yep. that
3: to
0: be me.
2: <laughs> you want that to be you?
3: <laughs> I think we can <laughs> fix this, Wallace. This is possible to go fishing. You, you do live
0: in Auckland, I think. There's a whole harbour there. <laughs> I've tried. I've tried to drop a line. Nothing came up. You have to be very patient. It was about 30 years ago, mind you. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right, so I've said mine. I learned to ride a bike at 12. Who wants to start? Anna Dean.
2: Uh, Well, I mean, I'm terribly embarrassed to admit this, and I mainly blame my grandmother um, because she was a housewife who calculated how many hot meals she'd made during her lifetime. So I... Uh, thought to avoid being a housewife I would never learn how to cook and (laughs) I uh, suffered (laughs) being in the first lockdown um, that 2020 year um, was the first time that I actually was stuck at home without ability to um, go to restaurants <laughs> and um, get takeaways, and and had to learn how to cook for myself. It was um, actually incredibly pleasurable and not nearly as hard as I had been hmm. led to believe.
0: That is incredible. What did you make? Oh, yeah. I
2: made like roast um, lamb, and I would set the table and light candles. And oh, beautiful. I, this was locked out on my own, so it actually became <laughs> quite a quite a great challenge. And um, yeah, now I'm swapping recipes with my friends, and they barely know uh, who I am anymore. That is
0: one of the most extraordinary things I've ever <laughs> that's heard. Lovely. yeah. That's that's that's. Uh, but Anna, uh, you could uh, fish. Yes, I can fish. Um, <laughs> someone says, "Thank you for this woman's honesty." Uh, <laughs> anytime, anytime. anytime uh, you yeah. know, learning to cook. Uh, wow, two years ago. Kia ora, Anna, thanks for sharing. Sam. But um, you can't I, beat
3: that. <laughs> I don't think I can beat either of these two, actually. Uh, but my one I wrote down was uh, was patience, uh, mm. and I think patience is, is something that evolves and develops later in life. And I think whenever I hang out with people much older than me, they're even more patient. So it's just that that ability or beautiful skill to be patient and um, let things sort of wash over you a little bit. So I think that nice. that, was, that would be my one, a little bit esoteric, but
0: mm. yeah. Uh, Wallace, you have to have a hook and bait on the line. Uh, <laughs> Alan says yeah. Ellen says, I learned to read and write at 23. Wow. Uh, someone says, I'm 37 and I still don't know how to drive a car. Uh, and someone else says, it's true, Anna Dean couldn't cook. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anna. You need to go around. This, this person needs to go around for dinner. Anna will do them a lovely candlelit lamb. <laughs> I'll tell you what, she's a changed person now.
3: <laughs> That's brilliant.
0: <laughs> All right. All right. So anyway... Uh, <laughs> Um, the, it's the first feature, it's called the song Whisperer. You guess the lyrics, we play the song, and the lyrics were making his way down the stairs. He can't help but looking back, thinks of the things that they shared. There'll be no more turning back. He thinks of the day they met, the words that she said of love, he just can't forget. What are those lyrics? Find out in two minutes. It's time for headlines.